All right, if you got your Bibles this morning and you want to follow along or take notes or mark it up or whatever you want to do, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to be in the first two verses. Um, it, it, it's really amazing when you read these two verses. They're, it's a simple greeting, uh, nothing, you know, a lot of people would just read these first two verses and just move on and not even think about it, but... In these first two verses is this huge amount of information. Uh, not only, it's really about two things. There's a lot of information about who we are, and there's also, as we'll see next week, a lot of information about who God is in just these very uh, first two verses. So we'll be in these verses this week, and we'll come back, and we'll be in them, as you'll see, uh, next week as, as well. So last week, we opened our study, and we looked at uh, Peter's... Uh, use of the word exiles. And as we said, exiles is a, is a Greek word and it can mean strangers or, or aliens or, or sojourners or foreigners. Uh, basically, it's anybody who is a temporary resident uh, in, a, in a place, right? You're, this is not your home. That you're not going to be there uh, permanently. And so that's why this letter is, is so relevant even today because that's who we are. We are pilgrims in a strange land. This world is not our home, okay? This is not where we're going to be permanently. There's, there's a, a, a city, a, a country that we're looking toward. So we're, while we're here, we're not going to fit in. Why, don't, why would we ever think we would fit in? This is not our culture. This is not, uh, none of this is ours, right? So, so it, life sometimes can be a little difficult uh, because of that. Now, fortunately, here in this country... We haven't gotten to the point yet where they may not like us, but they're not persecuting us, they're not throwing us in jail. But let me tell you, it's happening all over the world. You think this, you could take this and take this uh, to uh, this uh, letter to people in Iran or people in, in, uh, in India or people in China, and they would say, well, this, this must have been written yesterday because it's exactly what's going on. And it could happen here. I, I wouldn't... Uh, it's not beyond the bounds of our imagination that they could happen here. But the fact is, uh, this is who it's written to. Now, as I said, the emphasis of the letter is to teach believers how to live victoriously in a, a difficult culture or a hostile culture uh, or, or hostility. Now, what's so interesting to me about these first two verses is that we know who he's writing to. We, it, they're, they're enduring persecution, and right out of the gate, what he focuses on is their identity. He, he wants them to know who they are in Christ. And he wants us to know who we are in, in Christ. Let's, let's read those first two verses. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, as I said, last week we looked at the word exiles, and we kind of skipped the word elect. And I said we would handle that today. So what he does, he takes the word exiles, which is, of course, a, uh, a, a, I guess a, a noun, and he, he modifies that with an adjective. And the adjective that he uses is elect. You are not just exiles, you are elect exiles. And then he modifies that adjective with three things. He said, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 
You are elect in the sanctification of the Spirit, and you are elect for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, let me tell you, there is some really good stuff here, okay? Really good stuff. Now, we're going to start with the word elect, okay? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Now, that word elect in the Greek is eklektoi, which means basically chosen. We choose a president. We elect a president, right? It's the same word. It, it's, it just, it's just a different way of saying the exact same thing. It means chosen. Now, what Peter is saying here is so wonderful. He's saying, listen, you may not be uh, ch- the choice of the world, but you're God's choice. You see what he's saying? You may not be the choice of the world. You may not be the choice of your culture, but you're God's choice. Now, I'm going to spend some time this morning, probably about 20 minutes, uh, talking about this word and, and, and what, it, what it means. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time as I could because if you'll remember back in January, February time frame uh, when we were going through Genesis, I spent three weeks on this. So if you want to go back and, and listen to it in more detail, you can. Uh, it's still on the podcast. Uh, it's called God Chooses. I think it was part one, part two, and part three. So let's talk a little bit about election and what it means. In theology, there is something known as the doctrine of election. And it's a two-part statement. And the first part is this. Election is an act of God before creation in which He chooses or elects people to be saved. Now, there is no doubt that Christians are chosen. There's no doubt. That's not even debatable. The fact that Christians are elect, right... You can't even argue that. And the reason you can't is because there's such a wealth of scriptures. It's not just one little scripture we pull out. It's all over the Bible from the very beginning to the very end, the fact that God uh, chooses. So I'm going to show you a few scriptures this morning. I'm going to start out with the word chosen. And I just want to show you some scriptures that tells us, that God tells us that, uh, that we are chosen. Uh, Genesis 18:19. It starts out, he says this, "For I have chosen him, talking about Abraham." So at the very beginning, God says, He looks at all of the earth and he says, "I choose Abraham." OK? Uh, in Deuteronomy 7:6, he says this to Israel, "For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His treasured possession." So he chooses Abraham, and then he chooses Israel. Uh, Psalm 78, he says this, If you look inside of Israel, which were 12 tribes, he says, I chose one particular tribe to bring the Messiah out of. Psalm 78, then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. Later on, Psalms 105, it says this, He sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. Psalm 78, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. John 15, uh, he says this to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I chose you out of the world. So if you, if you start looking at all the people he chose, for example, in Acts with the Apostle Paul, says this, And a certain Ananias came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him, and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. 
So the fact is, just go back through the Bible. He chose uh, Abraham. He chose Israel. He chose Moses. He chose David. He chose the Apostle Paul. He chose the dry... God's always choosing. God's always choosing. Okay, They're not choosing him. He's choosing them. Now, you may say, well, those are... Maybe those are special occasions, right? I mean, those, at, at the end of the day, those are special people, right? They're, they're kind of the heroes. What about me? What about us? Well, see, the Bible tells us the exact same thing. He chose us. Ephesians 1.4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That's you and me, right? That's not David. That's not Moses. That's, that's us. He chose us. And it tells us when he did it before the foundation of the world. Matthew twenty two fourteen. Many are called, many hear the gospel, but only a few are what? Chosen. Uh, how about 2 Thessalonians two thirteen? But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. He didn't just choose you to be a... Uh, uh, you know, elected leader. He didn't just choose you to be a Bible study teacher. He didn't just choose you to be this or that. He chose you for salvation. First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Revelation 17.14, we've gone from Genesis all the way to Revelation. These will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So this idea of, of being chosen is, is all over the Bible. Now, what about the word elect? Again, it means the exact same thing, but sometimes it, it uses the word elect. I'll show you a few scriptures. Mark 13, 19 through 21. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sakes, whom he chose, he shortened those days. So even the Bible tells us elect chose, it's the same, it's the same thing. Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, even the chosen ones, if that were even possible. Luke 18, 7, by the words, these, these are all the words of Jesus, and God shall not avenge, and shall not God avenge his own elect? who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Matthew 24, 31, He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect, his chosen, from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. The chosen have obtained it, but the rest were blinded. Colossians three twelve. Therefore, as the elect of God, as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says this, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, there's the word chosen that's used. There's the word elect. There's another phrase that's thrown in, which basically shows us the same thing, is the word predestined. Ephesians 1.5 said this, "...having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will." Ephesians 1.11, "...in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8.30, Moreover, whom he predestined, those are the ones he called. And the ones he called, these are the ones he justified. And the ones he justified, those are the ones that he will glorify. So we get all these words over and over and over, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, not all the way from Genesis to Revelation. You are chosen, you are elect, you are, you are predestined. So it's, it's, it's not debatable. You just can't debate it. We are, as Christians, we are elect, we are chosen, we are uh, predestined. And by the way, all of this happens before the world is even created. So there's just too many scriptures to argue with that. Now, but there is a debate. You can't debate. It's not, the debate is not whether we're called or elect or predestined. The debate is how God chooses. That's the debate. So all Christians would agree we're chosen. The, the, the point is, okay, well, how does God choose? What, what criteria does he use? If I were to go buy a, a, a new car tomorrow, I would have some kind of criteria, right? I, I'd want a two-wheel drive or a four-wheel drive. I'd, wanna, I'd want, you know, four doors. Or, i got certain criteria I would use, right? Well, that's the question. What's God's criteria for choosing you or choosing uh, me? Now, on this question, there are two different interpretations. Okay, I'm going to give them both to you. They both hinge on a word, and the reason I'm bringing this all up is they both hinge on a word that is used in our verses today. See, uh, Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. According to the foreknowledge. He says you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, in Greek, the, the, the term for foreknowledge is a word we still use today, prognosis. Somebody makes a prognosis, they make a forecast, they make a, a guess of something that's going to happen. Foreknowledge means exactly what we think it means. It means to know something beforehand. So what he's telling us is we are chosen because God knows something beforehand. He knows it before it ever happens. He knows it, by the way, before he ever even creates the world or the, the universe. So what is it he knows? Okay? He, he's choosing based on his foreknowledge. What is it that he, he knows? There, as I said, there are two interpolations. Let me give you the wrong one first. I'll just go ahead and tell you right out of the gate. This is wrong. Some people will say that God looked ahead. Before he ever created the world, he looked ahead in time. And he saw Derek. And he knew that one day, way out thousands of years, Derek would choose him. And so God goes ahead and chooses Derek first. Everybody with me? That's the interpretation, that God, his foreknowledge, he knows the decision that you are going to make. So he goes ahead and predestinates you for salvation because, because of the choice you made. Everybody with me? That's the, that's the interpretation. So in this interpretation, foreknowledge is knowledge of something, some uh, event, some fact that God knows. In other words, God knows that you will choose him. And so he chooses you first. Now, as I said, that's wrong. That's just wrong. Now, why is it wrong? Well, there's two reasons it's wrong. Number one, there is no scripture anywhere that tells us that. It has absolutely no scriptural support. In fact, there, is there even one scripture, just one, that tells us the reason God chose us is because you chose him first. Is there one scripture? No. 
Not a single one. That is complete speculation. It's complete guesswork. They're just they're reading something into that, but there's no script. And I, if, if there's one thing you sit under me, I'll tell you a thousand times if I've told you once. You cannot take just one scripture out of the Bible and build a teaching or a doc. You've got to have other scriptures that back it up because the Bible always backs itself up. And there is not one scripture anywhere that tells us that's the reason that God uh, chose us. Now, let me, let me say this. Does God know what you're going to do before you do it? Sure he does. That's what it means to be God. But is that, as I said, just because he knows, there's no scripture anywhere that tells us that's the reason. that he, Everybody with me? There's not a single scripture that tells us that's the reason. In fact, the Bible, by the way, does tell us the reason. And that's not it. So I know this interpretation is wrong. But people like this interpretation. Why? Because it preserves free will. They love this interpretation because it preserves free will. God is just confirming a decision that he knows you're going to make of your own volition. So people say, well, that's got to be what it means, but there's no scriptural backup. So that's the first reason it's wrong, because it has no scriptural support. The second reason it's wrong is because if that is true, then grace is no longer grace. If that's true... Grace is no longer grace. You see, if God is choosing you because you chose him first, then at the end of the day, uh, it, it might be partly God's grace, but it's also partly you. Are you with me? If, if he's choosing you because he's, he looked ahead and you made some uh, choice with him, that at the end of the day, it might be 90% grace and 10% you. It might be 99% grace and 1% you. But if, you see, if it's any of you at all, grace is no longer grace. See, if that's true, that interpretation, the ultimate reason that, ever, that somebody is saved is it might be God's grace, but it's also because you were just smarter than other people. Or maybe you were born with a, 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 a you know, a, um, inherently to believe or something. I don't know. But the point is it, it, it kind of puts some of the, uh, the reason behind the reasons you're saved on you as well. But in fact, see, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. 1 John 4, 19, we all know this scripture. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. It doesn't say he loved us because we first loved him. That's what that interpretation says. We love God, uh, or God loves us because we first loved That's not what it says. We love him because he first loved us. Romans eleven five 5 through 6, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant, he's talking about saved people, according to the election of grace, the choosing of grace. And if by grace it is no longer of works, else grace would no longer be grace. See, it, it can't have anything to do with you, or else grace would not be grace. So that interpretation is completely wrong. So what is the right interpretation? Uh, Peter says we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. In this interpretation, foreknew that God foreknows, is not, it's not saying God foreknows something that's going to happen or some event or something. It's a knowledge of someone. You see the difference? It's not saying God foreknew some event. It's saying God foreknew some person or someone. It's kind of like in Genesis. It says Adam knew his wife, right? It's got the idea there of an intimate relationship. He's not saying Adam learned something about his wife he didn't know the day before. It's not what it's saying. Some fact about her. Oh, honey, I didn't know you, 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 know, you thought that. 
No, it's saying that he, he knew her in a way he hadn't known her uh, before. You see, when it says God, according to his foreknowledge, what it's saying is God looked into the future and he made a decision to have a relationship with you. He foreknew you. He chose you. He predestined you because he made that decision. Now, let me just, as I said, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is right. It's a right interpretation. Why? Well, let's look at those same two reasons. Is there any scripture that says that's true? Absolutely. In fact, there's multiple scriptures. How about Jeremiah 1.5? Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. See, he's not saying, oh, I, I knew how many hair, what color hair you were going to have. I knew you were going to be a male or a female. I, I knew you were going to grow up to be a prophet. No, he says, I, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I ordained you. I knew you. I, had a, I decided to have a relationship with you before you were ever even born. How about Matthew 7, 23? Jesus says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we, didn't we go to church? Didn't we, didn't we read our Bible? Didn't we do all these things? And he's going to say to them, I'll say to you, I never what? I didn't know you. Is he saying I didn't know who you were? No. He knows how many hairs are on your head. At any time, he knows exactly how many... He knows everything about you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Okay? How about uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 3? If anyone, is lo if anyone loves God, this one is what? Known by him. Once again, notice, notice all of these... The, the, I, I don't, I'm not an English major. I always struggle with verbs and adverbs and nouns and all this. But do you see the, uh, the, what's being acted upon here? What's being known is not an event or a fact. It's a what? It's a person. If anyone loves God, this one is known by God. How about Galatians 4, 9? But now, after you have known God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements. He's saying, you, you, now you've got a relationship with God. That, it, that's what it means to be known by God. See, God, in a sense, knows everything about everybody. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a relationship. How about Romans 8, 29 through 30? For those whom he foreknew. Who's he talking about? People. He foreknew people. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined he called, and those whom he called he justified, and those whom he justified he glorified. Those whom he foreknows. He, know, he foreknows people, not knowledge, not facts, not events, not what they would do, people. How about Romans eleven two? I can say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So anytime it talks about the foreknowledge of God, it's talking about a relationship. It's not talking about facts or, or events. The second reason I know this interpretation is right, because it, it doesn't eliminate God's grace or invalidate God's grace. It preserves God's grace. You see, fact is, Scripture tells us several times the reason God chose us. Several times. And it has nothing to do with your faith. Now, let me say this. I don't want to mislead anybody. Your faith is how you are saved. Right? That is the, that is the, the vehicle that God uses to bring us to salvation is our believing, our faith. But that's not the reason He chose us. 
It never speaks... Whenever the Bible speaks of the reason God chose us, it never says, I chose him because he had faith in me. No. It's always about his purpose and his grace. Let me go back and read Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, and here's the reason he did it, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, when God saves you, he wants his grace to get all the glory. It don't want to be 99% him and 1% you. He wants it to be 100% him. And so he just does it before you're... Before, and all he does, it, does he do it before you're even born, before you've done anything good or bad? He does it before he ever created the world. Why? So he gets the glory. So he gets the glory. 2 Timothy 1.9, I'll give you one more. It says this, Who, talking about God, has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to anything that we've done, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Makes that decision way before he ever even invented time. He goes ahead and says, one day I'm going to save him, one day I'm going to save her. Now, in the end, you can see there's only one interpretation that lines up with Scripture. So the doctrine of election fully developed says this, Election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses or elects people to be saved, not on account of any unfor- or any foreseen merit in them, not because he looks ahead and says, boy, that Derek's going to be a good guy. That Derek's going to be born into a good family. No. He looks ahead and makes a choice irregardless of anything that I've done. He makes it according to his own counsel to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, Let's go back to our scripture. That's what the word elect means. You are chosen before the foundation of the world. And then Peter modifies that with three things. And I'm going to walk through them here very quickly. He says this, You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You are elect in the sanctification of the Spirit. And you are elect for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, you may look at that, if I go back, you may look at that and say, what in the world does that even mean, right? It sounds kind of complicated when you first look at it, but it's really pretty, pretty simple. And it's easy to, here's the easy way to think of it. Think about, he's saying, your election is from this, it's through this, and it's to this. It's from this, it's through this, and it's for the purpose of, of this. So let me walk through it. Let me show you what he means by from, and we've already covered this. You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You are elect from the foundation of the world. You are elect according to God choosing you. Now, we've already covered that in in detail. That is the source of our election. That is the source of our salvation, the predetermined foreknowledge of God. But here's the thing. Being elect and being saved are two different things. Let me say that again. Being elect, being chosen, and being saved are two different things. You see, the fact is, I've been elect, I've been chosen since before the world began. But see, at some point, that election has to become a reality. You see, I was born on February 8th, 1963. But it wasn't until 1974 in Lake Wells, Florida, at a, little, at a boys' camp, that I went to a, 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 I went to a little chapel 
And a preacher got up and preached, and I walked down the aisle, and I said, I, I want to serve Jesus. So between February 8, 1963, and July of something, 1974, I was elect, right? But I wasn't saved. Think about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is chosen before the foundation of the world. He's born, and he starts killing Christians. So for a large part of his life, he's out murdering Christians, torturing Christians. But then one day on the road to Damascus, God says, I choose you. It's time now. See, we all are elect, but the point is there has to come a point in our life where we put our faith in Jesus Christ, where salvation has to become a reality. And see, that brings us to the second part. We're elect from the foreknowledge of God. We are, we are saved through the sanctification of the Spirit. That's the from, and now that's the through. See, sanctification is the Greek word hagiosmos. It means to be separate, to, to set apart, to consecrate. See, at some point in your life, the Spirit has to come along and regenerate you, make you holy, set you apart. In other words, He comes along and makes you an exile. He says, you were a part of this world, now you're an exile, son. Now you're an exile, daughter. Through the sanctification of the Spirit. By the way, Paul teaches the same thing. Titus 3, 5, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that comes in and, and takes care of the being born again, the regenerated, the, the change. That's all the Holy Spirit. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So the Father, and we'll see this, we're going to talk about this next week, the Father elects you, chooses you before the foundation of the world, and then the Holy Spirit comes into your life at some point and makes you born again, regenerates you through the washing of, of the Word. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, Before salvation came into this world, election went through the world and marked the houses to which salvation should come. Election looked through all the race of man from Adam down to the last and marked with a sacred stamp those for whom salvation was designed. Then came predestination. Predestination did not merely mark the house, it marked the road on which salvation would travel. Predestination ordained every step of the great army of salvation. Predestination ordained the time when the sinner should be brought to Christ, the manner how he should be saved. It marked the exact hour and moment when God the Spirit should quicken the dead in sin and when peace and pardon should be spoken through the blood of Jesus. Predestination marked the way so completely to the house that salvation is never at a loss for the road. I really liked that the first time that I read that. Salvation has to come, though, at some point in your life. So we are elect, we are chosen from the foundation of the world through the foreknowledge of God. We are saved through the sanctification of the Spirit. And now here's the two. Paul says you are elect for obedience to Jesus Christ. Now do not miss that, what he just said. That is the purpose of you being chosen. That is the purpose of you being saved so that you might obey Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of salvation. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works, that, that which God prepared beforehand. That's the whole point. You See, this idea, by the way, that somebody can walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, and then go back out there and not obey Jesus Christ, that's not in the Bible anywhere. 
You won't find that kind of salvation anywhere in the Bible. The Bible says when you get saved, from that point on, it's a life of obedience. Are you going to fail? Sure. We'll see that here in a second. But the whole point is I'm going to try, I'm going to, try to live according to His Word. We have been elected for a reason, for a purpose, and that purpose is to obey Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, Peter says something really odd. Really odd. And most of us would just go right by this. He says, not only are you elect for obedience to Jesus Christ, you are also elect for sprinkling with his blood. Now, what in the world, what in the world does that mean? That is, a, that is a really odd statement. See, most of the time when we think about sprinkling with blood, we think about salvation, right? I mean, that's kind of what we think about. But notice the chronology here. The chronology puts this after salvation. He says, you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God before the foundation of the world. The Spirit come along and saves you, regenerates you. For what purpose? For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So this is after salvation. This is something Peter's talking about. It's after salvation, but it's connected with obedience. So what is he talking about? Well, it turns out there's only one place in the Old Testament where it connects the sprinkling of blood with obedience. This is what Peter is talking about here. You can find this story. I'm going to read it to you here in Exodus 24. It's also referenced in, uh, in Hebrews chapter uh, 9. This is the story. Exodus 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. He, he, he's reading the Bible. I mean, he's come down off the mountain and God's giving him all the law and he's telling the people about it. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will obey. And Moses had... So what he did, he sits down and he kills a couple... He kills a bunch of cows and he gets a big old thing of blood. He's got a ton of blood. And he splits it in half. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins. Okay? And he took half of the blood and he threw it against the altar. Let's keep reading. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he, by the way, he didn't take the basins and just splash it on them. He took a bunch of people with like branches and they would dip it in these basins and they would sprinkle it. They'd go around and they'd sprinkle the blood on the people like that. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people and this is what he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with what you just said. In accordance with all these words, the, the words that are in the book and your promise to be obedient, God says he's making a covenant with you. Now, what's going on here and how does this connect with Peter? Remember, in ancient times, covenants were sealed with blood, right? We, 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 we all know about this. We call it the blood, that's a blood covenant. The people here are making a promise with God to obey his word. We will obey your word. By the way, why are we saved? For obedience to Jesus Christ, right? And this is why this has something to do with us. So to seal this covenant, to seal their promise, Moses sprinkles them with, with blood. So this signifies the, the people's promise to obey. But remember, a covenant always has two sides. So he's sprinkling the blood on the people because they promised to obey. But remember what he did with the other half of the blood, he threw it on what? He threw it on the altar, so what does that represent? Well, here's what it represents. You see, the blood on the altar symbolizes God's promise to forgive. 
See, God is saying to the people, you promise to obey, but guess what? You're going to fail. And when you fail, you come to the altar and I'll forgive you. That's the two sides of the covenant. See, God knows you can never obey perfectly, so His side of the covenant is to forgive. You see, that's the covenant. Once again, they promise to obey, God promises to forgive. I want to remind you, Matthew 26, Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples, and this is what He says. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is My blood of the covenant. My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for what? The forgiveness of sins. You see what Peter's saying now? This is just so cool to me. As the elect of God, we have been saved in order to enter into a life of obedience. That's what we've been saved for. And it is sealed through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. But guess what? We will fail. There's no way we'll ever do it perfect. We will, that is the whole purpose of our salvation is to obey, and we'll never do it perfectly. We will always fail. We'll always get knocked down. But when we do, there is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Don't, he, he's saying you've been saved to, be, to, to obey, but guess what? When you fail, the blood of Jesus is there to forgive you. 1 John 1, 7 puts it this way. But if we walk in the light, that's obedience. I'm walking in the light. I'm trying to obey Jesus. I'm doing the best I can. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, cleanses us from all sin. He knows we'll fail. So His side is to take care of the forgiveness. Now, let's go back to our first two verses. I said that that's who we are. We are elect. We are chosen. We are saved through the Spirit. We are saved for obedience to Jesus Christ. That's who we are. But right here in these first two verses, it also tells us an awful lot about who God is. In fact, did you notice in our salvation that there are three persons playing a part? There is the Father who elects us. There is the Spirit who sanctifies us. And of course, there's the Son who died for us. See, right here in in these first two verses of this greeting is the great doctrine of the Trinity. Who are these three people? How I thought there was one God. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to spend some time. I've taught this twice uh, over the past 10 years. We, it, by the way, what we do in this class is we open a book, and whatever we come to, we teach. We don't skip. Don't skip anything. Hard, easy, doesn't matter. Whatever the book says... So the Trinity is facing us right here. So next week we will deal with the doctrine of the Trinity. Let's pray.